Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, it is back to school in Ontario. Well, for some of us, anyway. Canada is seeing an increase in its COVID-19 cases. As a result, the Ontario government is pausing its reopening protocol. And how are restaurants going to cope with the end of patio season? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. March break is finally over. Time for back to school. Wait, it's a staggered start. Why did I stagger on a bed today? It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Seriously, he did just stagger out of bed. He's not kidding. Uh, later on in the week, uh, no need to rush, as he puts it. Uh, good afternoon. It is 12-11. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, Will Erskine back at the station, keeping week number 26 of the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Glad that you are with us. Lots of ways to uh, jump into the fun. You can hit the uh, website at 900CHML.com. Send us a note there, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. All right, uh, on that note, on back to school, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as uh, we open up the show. Let's first of all play a clip uh, from earlier uh, today. Uh, Harvey Bischoff, the president of the Secondary Schools uh, Teachers Association, here's what he had to say about uh, back to class. Overwhelmingly, what I have not heard, I'm afraid, is is confidence. I'm sure that they'll project that to their students for their good, but uh, individually, overwhelmingly, they're feeling anxious. Um, it, you know, that borders on fear at times um, because of so many uncertainties, uh, because of a significant lack of planning on the part of the ministry, lack of direction. So they're they're quite quite worried going back to class. And here's what Education Minister Stephen Lecce had to say about the first day back. I want them to know we've got their back through this pandemic and if there's additional layers of prevention and mitigating steps we can take to keep these classrooms safer, to respond to the risk as it arises, we'll do it. We'll continue to scale it up and we'll be there for them. All right, uh, as everybody is getting ready for back to school uh, today, and again, in some sort of staggered starts, let's bring in NDP education critic uh, Marit Stiles. Marit is with us now. Marit, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. I'm okay. How are you? I I, I know it's a, an anxious day for a lot of people uh, with kids starting to head back to school. Yeah, it's uh, we're in a staggered start, so uh, they're still enjoying, uh, I guess, March breaks, last summer vacation at this point. Yeah. But yeah, there certainly are concerns. Uh, it's going to be a lot different this year. Uh, what are your thoughts? What are you hearing? Uh, you know, obviously, uh, everybody's in the same boat here as we're trying to make this uh, this all work. What are your thoughts on on the first week back? Well, you know, I think, you know, for one thing, let's just acknowledge that for a lot of our students, heading back to school is going to be, you know, a mix of emotions, right? It's going to be exciting and and great to see some of your friends, maybe to see your teachers again and getting back into things after they've been apart for so long. Um, But there's also an enormous amount of anxiety out there about the risks of COVID-19 and also about, as as you noted in some of the quotes there uh, about about the state of, of how ready we are uh, to protect those students and the staff in our school. 
Will we ever be ready, Marit? I mean, you know, I, it's, it's, you know, you look across the country, everybody's pretty, pretty much dealing with the same thing, no matter what the, the stripe of the government is. Uh, we're all pretty much in the same boat. Um, is there anything more we could have done? Well, you know, we've been pushing, I've been pushing for, for months now for safer, smaller classrooms. We know that, you know, everybody out there is saying we, we really should be looking at cohorts of about 15 students in a class. And, and this plan that the government put out, uh, like weeks ago, and then they keep changing everything, but it really means that most of the students in this province, when they go back to school this week or next week, they're going to be going into class sizes that are essentially the same as they were when they left school in March. And the only exception is high school students in some of the major centers, like in Hamilton area and in Toronto. And, and they'll be going into like, classes of 15 plus them online but but everywhere else and for our younger kids it's going to be basically status quo and in fact what we're finding now is that classes are being merged together so when they're when they're when people aren't coming back because they're going to choose online or at home options the government isn't funding to keep those classes small and they're merging these classes into larger classes so this is i mean i think um on its own it's 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 a sign that the government has not done everything they could do and everything that they know is right uh, to, to ensure that that return to school goes as, as well as possible. Uh, we all remember that prior to COVID-19, uh, the teachers and, and the government of the day uh, at odds with each other and, f- and 15 kids in a class was very much a part of their bargaining way back when, uh, you know, even before the, the COVID-19 situation came into it. They've been they've been aggressively trying to get 15 per class. Um, but as I've talked to people over the course of this, do we have the capacity to even put it to 15 per class? Do we have the buildings? Do we have the facilities? I mean, everybody just says, let's just do 15 per class. But I, I don't think we have the capacity to do that. Do we? I haven't heard anybody say that we do, uh, because well, theoretically, you'd have to build way more schools really quickly. Well, you know, I, I think when you look at um, the amount of, of space, first of all, classrooms in many parts of the province, which have been, we have had classrooms that have been mothballed for years, even in areas which are really quite busy, because they, because they, they allow for these larger classes, we actually do have empty space. And in fact, because so many students and families don't have the confidence to send back their kids to, to classes right now, we're finding that the classes sizes are actually going to be quite, could be quite small if the government were willing to cap them. And ensure, and in fact, I'm hearing from classrooms in in the GTA and in the Hamilton area where, uh, when again they're merging these classes and they're leaving other classrooms empty, which seems absolutely absurd. But this is because of the way that the Ford government and governments before them, you know, have funded education, and it is it's a flawed formula, and it needs to change. And there absolutely is the capacity, but the government should have been doing this. For the last few months, they should have been hiring more teachers. They should have been hiring more support staff so that our kids, many of whom are going to be struggling, right? Let's face it. Let's, you know, they need, they need additional support. And instead, what we're hearing is that in some cases, uh, they're losing support staff in schools. Um, um, I have a hard time believing that during a pandemic that a rest, that a, a classroom is going to sit empty uh, while other people are crowded. I, I just I, I'm not buying that uh, one iota. And, and again, I, I'm I haven't talked to anybody that says that we do have 
the capacity to do this. The other question that I that I want to, uh, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, Mark, uh, Marit, yep. uh, and you know, is like we should have been doing this months ago. We should have been doing this months ago. Well, months ago, we had, you know, we were trying to deal with a, a virus we knew nothing about. We were in the process of closing down. Uh, the world. We're in the process of telling everybody they had to stay home. Uh, we're in the process of trying to get our kids to get some sort of functional learning going on at home, which uh, I'm very disappointed in the teachers, considering I, I think some knocked it out on the park, but I think the vast majority dropped the ball. Uh, on the last 90 days of, of the school year, uh, not even being able to, to get some sort of Zoom style call going. So I'm not, when were, when was everybody supposed to plan back to school? Cause a few months ago, we were mm-hmm. shutting everything down and, and, you know, the teachers unions are said you should have been planning for back to class. I, three months ago, I don't think anybody's priority was planning back to class. I think everyone was just trying to survive. So what are we talking about all this stuff? Like months ago, they should have been doing this. Months ago, we were all locked down. No, months ago, months ago, there's an entire, you know, enormous department in the Ministry of Education with a lot of staff and resources um, and a minister whose job it was to be thinking about the next step. So boards were scrambling to ensure that there was some kind of remote emergency distance learning happening, sure, March, April, May. But I'll tell you, I've, since at least June, May, I've been telling the minister, and I've been, we've been talking about it in the legislature, the need to plan for the return to school when that happened. And in fact, you know, back in July and June, the, the Minister of Education told boards to start working on this. Boards were well ahead of the Ministry of Education on this. They were planning for for the return to school, and they were saying to the Ministry of Education, here's what we're going to need. Here's what our kids are going to need if we're going to maintain that physical distancing in classrooms. So actually, you know, I mean, while there was still certainly, you know, a lot of uncertainty about what, when we might return to school and all of that, it was clear we were going to have to at some point. And, you know, the, certainly, you know, the, the science and uh, we, we keep learning and we know more now than we did, you know, four months ago. But, but it's strange that the government hasn't really seemed to have kept up with that. You know, we're learning that it's this two meters physical distance is important. Everybody is trying to maintain that in our businesses, in our communities. and Merit, merit, merit. Has yeah. anybody across the country done this right? You know, because again, we've got no. we got yeah. liberals, we got uh, new uh, new Democrats, we got conservatives, and everybody is singing the same tune. So I'm not sure what everybody wants someone to do here. It's like you're expecting someone to pull a magic rabbit out of their hat or something. Again, no, like I, a, I a couple of months ago, been... a couple of months ago, we couldn't even get our kids online to learn anything. I don't think the priority then was back to class. Uh, the the priority then was keeping everybody alive and and trying to figure out what we what we're going through and and I think well, it's just bizarre that all of a sudden here we are the first week of September and 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 the Ontario teachers unions are screaming about something that everybody is talking about all the way across the country we got to be nimble we got to be ready but everybody's in the same boat so I'm not sure what everybody was expecting. I guess I would listen to the words of Mr. of the minister that you just you just used that that quote from the minister from Minister Lecce talking about you know we'll be we'll we'll throw things at it as needed and I think what and I and I agree with you I don't think frankly anywhere in the in the country they've done this well enough and it's very disappointing but you know here in Ontario we could do better and and I I when I hear Mr. Lecce say 
well, you know, if, if things change, we'll, we'll be ready to throw resources at things. And I say to myself, and this is what I'm hearing from parents, thousands and thousands of parents saying the same thing, which is we, we don't want our kids in there in like a Petri dish. If you know what you know, which is that we're going to need resources, and we're seeing outbreaks happen across the country as kids are returning to school, look at Quebec. Um, we should be doing everything we, we can right now to prevent that outbreak. And, you know, the reason I care so much about this, I mean, I'm a parent, obviously. My child is going back to school next week. And, and I'm, I'm really concerned, sure, but I'm mostly concerned that all of the work that we've done as communities, as individuals, could be for naught, right? If, if we don't get this right, that the research shows, sure, kids are less likely to get very, very ill, but it's about who they bring that back to. And, you know, today we're hearing that, like, school bus routes are being canceled in some parts of the province. They can't find enough drivers. They can't get the kids because they're cramming 70 kids onto a bus, and nobody wants that. You know, why can't the government come up with the funding to ensure that that is, that that is done properly and that our kids and communities stay safe? And that's all that anybody's asking for. And I just think, you know, what they've done so far is disappointing, but we'll watch very carefully. And I know that, I have to say, teachers, Teachers are from that I hear from, and all of those other great staff at our schools, like custodians. You know, they've been working really hard to get our classes ready, and they're thinking creatively about how they can use the resources they have, including empty classrooms. But they're not funded to do so, and they'll figure out creative ways. But let's not forget that the government has not been there. Let's here's hoping here's hoping merit that what we saw coming out of this when we're talking about our online learning is way better than it was. Uh, oh, yeah. Way better come this come September, because, again, uh, I got two kids in the system here. I was very disappointed in the teacher's inability to be nimble here. And I think that's what everybody's asking for. Mm-hmm. And and I think you answered your own question in a sense, Merritt. Nobody knows how to do this across the country. So, again, I, I'm not really sure other than, you know, throwing money at things and, and creating scenarios that we know we just can't do. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's easy to, you know, to say we should have been doing this. But, I, again, I can't well, see anybody anywhere in the world that's doing it any differently. Anyway, Merritt, well, we got to let you go are there. There are countries in the world. I mean, there are countries in the world doing it better, um, like Denmark. And Here we go. Yeah, everybody better. always, it's always Denmark. Denmark's everything. Hey, Merritt, i got to let you go there. We're out of time. Okay, Merritt Stiles has been with us, NDP critic. Thank you. We're just plumb out of time, Merritt. Uh, it is 1226. We're coming back. Denmark, I love it. Uh, let's bring in James Skidmore, professor, University of Waterloo. He is with us now. James, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Your thoughts on the slight uptick that we're seeing in cases in Ontario? For the longest time, they were hovering around 100, and then as we opened up into Stage 3, we saw we saw those start to jump a bit and, and again, have uh, over the weekend. Your thoughts on those rising numbers as we head back to class? Well, in terms of uh, getting kids back into school, of course, that's going to be worrisome for um, teachers, uh, kids, their parents, the school boards, everyone's going to be concerned. It'll be a, it'll be dependent on the area you're living in, of course, what the what the actual um, uh, count is in, in that area or that district. But of course, people are people are nervous. They're they're really concerned. They're hearing in the media that a, a surge could take place in the fall. There could be, you know, another wave or a continuation of the current wave or whatever the current uh, way of expressing that is. So, of course, people are going to be anxious. 
Uh, your thoughts on the fact that numbers have ticked up? Is this just the result of, again, us being in stage three and out and about more? Well, I, I'm not sure I can speak to that. I, I don't have the expertise for understanding how those, um, uh, how those cases have developed and, 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 and what the causes are for them. It's, uh, but what it's indicative of is that we're, we're, we're the uncertainty. We're still uncertain about how this is going to play out. And so we, we have to really prepare for every kind of eventuality as to what could happen um, for, for anyone, right, in terms of, of how, to, uh, how to manage um, continuing our lives in terms of our work lives and our sending our kids to school lives and that kind of thing, and the uncertainty then of, of what could happen with the, with the pandemic or with the virus. So, uh, obviously, uh, what advice do you have for parents and kids heading back? Obviously, there is no perfect uh, situation. There is no perfect solution here. Uh, you know, some have alluded to it's sort of like, you know, picking uh, the best thing off a bad menu. Uh, what, what advice do you have as, as people try to, you know, how do we stay nimble and react to this? Um, well, the one, one thing that needs to be... Um, I think improved upon, and maybe it's not been as good, has is just simp- is the simple communication as to what's happening. And I think the, I don't want to lay blame at any doorstep because part of the issue is that we we have so many different media sources now for where from where we get information about what's happening that it's very hard in that kind of buzz of of, of noise of, of communication for people to get kind of get a sense of, okay, what's really going on and what needs to happen in this or that particular situation. And so the, the, the schools and the school boards and even the ministry really have to provide clear communication to parents and the kids so that they, they know what will happen in particular situations. They can't, of course, they can't um, see into the future and know what's going to happen down the road. Um, but they can prepare parents by providing them with trustworthy uh, information and making sure that the parents feel that they are fully informed and fully up to date as to what's going on and that there's, a, there's, that there's clarity to that communication, that there's a sense of, yes, they have a, a, a plan in place. And then the parents can decide for themselves, do I want to partake in terms of, you know, sending my kids or holding them back or, you know, trying to figure it out from that side. So I think that's really one of the, the key things because I anecdotally, just speaking to people I know who have children, I don't, but others who I know do, they are, they are a bit, they are often a bit confused as to, as to just how they should be thinking about what's going on. How do you comfort people when there are no answers to those questions? I mean, most of it is trial and error. I mean, that's the, you know, there is no playbook for, for COVID-19 until we write it. Uh, but, you know, again, everybody's asking a lot of questions, which there really aren't any answers to in many cases. No, you're, you're right. There, there, are, there are going to be um, situations where you can't provide answers because the answers aren't there. And, and you have people asking questions. Uh, often just out of um, a nervousness. Uh, I see it just dealing with students at the university. And, uh, you know, as we start classes today and students are, they're just confused, you know, they're a bit confused. They're uncertain as to how this works. And Mm -hmm. that raises the anxiety level a little bit. And then they start asking lots of questions, questions that are uh, 
they don't need to ask those questions. The answers are kind of there in their syllabus or what have you, but they, but this nervousness develops because of the uncertainty. Mm. And I James think, I Skidmore, think sorry, go ahead. Well, I think that's the situation with parents and kids at schools too. And so again, this information flow and how that information gets to parents and how it's communicated, I think that will do a lot to help people in this regard. James Skidmore has been with us, Professor, University of Waterloo, as everyone heads back to class and trying to make uh, the most of this as they possibly can with what little information we all have. James, thanks for the time. Good luck this year. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Uh, obviously, uh, first day back for many, not all. Uh, every uh, Most boards in this area doing staggered starts where there'll be some sort of orientation. Uh, the teachers are back. They're getting ready. And then uh, later this week and into next week, uh, slowly, you'll see, slowly you'll see uh, various grades heading back. Uh, and with, uh, you know, heading back in September, we're starting to see the a slight uptick in cases uh, in Ontario, and as a matter of fact, Canada is up 25% over the last week. To talk more about all of this, Ketra Schmidt is with us, Associate Professor, Centre for Engineering in Society, Concordia University, and with us now. Ketra, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am well, so far. Thank so you. your your thoughts, Ketra, as you know, it seemed for the longest time we were sitting around 100 uh, or so cases here in Ontario. Now we're starting to see a, a slight uh, uptick since uh, stage three was opened up. What are your thoughts about where we are? Yeah, it's natural to see an uptick as people are starting to interact with one another more. We're seeing the same thing in Quebec. Um, so opening the schools and having children interact in close quarters, you're naturally going to see more cases. How concerned are you with what we've seen? Uh, Quebec obviously started a week earlier after their first week. Oh, I'm really concerned. Um, We have a plan in place that is not safe. Um, And apparently the government is saying that aerosols are not a risk for spreading COVID. We know that it is a risk. Um, So it's a, a plan that's ultimately untenable. So uh, the the difference between, I guess, the big difference between Quebec and Ontario is the mask situation, correct? That's right. Masks are not required um, to be worn inside the classroom. So they're required starting at grade five for crowded areas. Once students are sitting down, they don't have to wear them. So, so really what... Can- so that's no matter what the grade is, once they're sitting in their seats and such, they're, they're free to remove masks. I know that that's true for stage up. I know it's true for fifth grade, and I'm pretty sure it's also true for the high school system. Yes. How much, it's going to be fascinating to see Ontario after the first week and see how those numbers compare with uh, masks. Uh, it's mandatory uh, grade four and up, but most boards have, have tried to do it. it it's, it's up to the individual board, I guess, to, to, to have the younger kids masked. Do you think this is going to make a big difference? Oh, I think it's going to make a very big difference. Um, and also, I would say there's two other really important differences between Quebec and Ontario, um, which is the element of choice. One difference, but it's played out right. in two ways. One, on the part of the parents, because there is a possibility of home learning or distance learning. We don't have that option. Uh, as parents in Quebec, we have to choose homeschooling. So there's no support for distance learning. Um, and the second part of choice is that the school boards here are not given choice. So schools do not have the right to institute stricter guidelines. For example, uh, mask wearing at a younger younger age or mask wearing uh, while students are sitting down. We don't have that choice. 
So, obviously, after first week, uh, 47 uh, COVID-19 cases in the schools, where does that leave the school system now? Well, because right now what we're we're seeing is it would just start to be school spread, right? We we know we're going to have a two-week, one to three-week, say, lag time. So... Uh, the numbers are, are getting up to the point that the government had said were actionable before. But so far, that's not what they're saying. Do you think the uh, Quebec government will reverse its decision on masking after this? I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand the logic behind the government's current um, policies. So, I don't actually expect them to reverse this policy. I, I wish they would. I guess I don't. Ha- I can't form an expectation because I don't see the logic in this decision making whatsoever. Uh, especially when you're seeing what's going on across the country as well, because they're probably the only ones that I can think of that that are doing this. Um, uh, what are you predicting in the next two weeks? Once again, that 14 day period uh, passes. Yeah, we're going to have a steady uptick. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no way around that. We're going to have uh, increase in cases. Whether we're calling that the second wave or we came out of the first wave yet, those are open questions. But we're certainly going to have a lot more cases. I think at some point, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to have another shutdown. But it's too bad because this could have been managed well. Uh, what, how, uh, with, you know, seeing uptakes right the way across the country, Dr. Tam saying, uh, 25% in Canada, uh, increasing in numbers, uh, last week as we're heading into the fall, does that concern you even more, uh, with this? Cause we're, we seem to be seeing, uh, the, the largest outbreaks in the younger demographics between 20 and say 40. Yeah. So uh, there's a couple things that concern me. One of them is we'll also have, uh, seasonal influenza so there's going to be a lot of diseases uh, being transmitted because of that Um, the other thing that concerns me that there's very little discussion about are the longer-term consequences some people do have long-term consequences including people in that 20 to 40 age bracket i don't think we understand how long-term they are yet how could we Um, and there are consequences also for children even if they are less likely to um, experience fatal consequences, they, they do experience consequences from, um, from COVID infections. So this is being really downplayed in a rush to get back to normal, which I also want to be back to normal, but um, that's not reality. Wow. What, uh, what advice do you have for parents, uh, I guess, across the country, not only in your province of Quebec, but across the country who are sending their kids back this week? Well, I have also sent my children back. Um, it, in a situation where I think it is a really unsafe plan, I did choose to send my kids back um, because ultimately I believe that they're better served being educated and being in person um, because I basically think we will have to be back doing distance learning in the near future. Um, I wanted to make sure that they could know their teacher and have some of the initial experiences of the school year. Um, So I've done it, um, but I don't have anything reassuring to say, right? I, all of my kids wear masks all day long. 
Um, we do have that option to have our children wear masks. Um, and they wear their, they wear their masks and that's the only tool that we have available to us besides hand washing. The schools are doing a really great job hand washing and sanitizing surfaces. Um, mm-hmm. from what I've read, Ontario is doing more to ensure ventilation. Mm-hmm. But that isn't happening very much in Quebec either. The focus is really on surface sanitation, which is not um, actually how this disease transmits. So it might make us feel better, but it shouldn't make us feel better. Hmm. What should make us feel better is not spending a lot of time indoors with or without masks with people who are outside of our immediate family. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens between now and Christmas, isn't it? Yes. That's fascinating. But yes. I mean, and the, the, I like that timeline because actually uh, we should have um, the possibility of a vaccine relatively soon. So that's what's mystifying to me about this rush to get back to normal. There was a semi-normal I think we could have gotten to with a hybrid approach um, that allows parents who are more comfortable keeping children home to keep them home or to send them just a few days a week for a few hours, but also takes care of the needs of parents who absolutely need their children to be cared for during the day. I feel like there could have been a better option with required face masks and better ventilation or air cleaning in the school rooms um, that could have kind of gotten us over the hump until we have a vaccine available. Katra Schmidt has been with us, Associate Professor, Center for Engineering in Society, Concordia University, giving us uh, the Quebec, uh, Quebec perspective of reopening schools. Katra, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. It was my pleasure. You too. All right. Uh, coming up in about uh, seven, eight minutes' time, we will carry Premier Doug Ford's uh, daily news conference live. Education Minister Stephen Lecce uh, will be there. Interesting, Quebec schools opened up a week before we did. Didn't have the mandatory uh, masking uh, situations in place or the hybrid model of uh, learning at home. Uh, online or going to class, which is obviously two uh, uh, big points that are in Ontario's back-to-school plan that that was not in uh, Quebec. Uh, obviously, parents here having the option of, uh, of having their kids uh, learning online as well as in-class uh, instruction. Fascinating. It'll be interesting to see how this all pans out. Uh, and and how different protocol works in various provinces. Pretty much the same, but again, there's a situation there where the masking uh, situation was a bit different, so it'll be fascinating to see how that uh, plays out in the next 90 days or so. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know, it's fascinating as we uh, work our way through uh, this pandemic and trying to figure out uh, which way is up and, and, and what goes on uh, moving forward. It affects so many different uh, industries and such and, and people in so many different ways. Uh, now a new Angus Reid poll is out. Uh, continue uh, As Canadians continue to re-enter the employment market, we're seeing impacts uh, from COVID-19 have certainly soured uh, some of the outlook for future financial uh, success. To talk more about this poll, uh, Dave Krasinski is with us, Research Director at Angus Reid Institute and is with us now. Dave, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing quite well. It's always, uh, always a pleasure to join you, Scott. So how has the attitude changed, uh, you know, uh, I guess as we're a few weeks into this pandemic to now being at week 26? How are Canadians feeling at this point? 
Yeah, I think the the reality of the long term repercussions has kind of sunk in. Um, we had this trend. You know, we asked this question every quarter, and, and actually have data going back, you know, to 2010 on um, whether your standard of living is better now than it was a year ago, and what you think it will be next year. So the, the interesting part of this one, I think, is looking forward. Is that you know over the course of the last couple of years. The, the percentage of people that were expecting their standard of living to be better uh, next year was rising. You know, it was down about 17% in 2018. It jumped to 22% in 2019. At the beginning of this year, it was at 29%. And actually, even up until the, the second quarter, which was, uh, I believe, late May, people were thinking that they would be better off next year. So I think some of the people that were hurt early on were looking at this and saying, you know, it's not going to get any worse. Um, so you had 30% of Canadians saying that they would be better off next year. So that's about a three-year trend of, of optimism. And what we see this quarter uh, in the survey that we ran um, in late August, the first week of September, is that that trend has finally broken. Now we're back down to about 25%. So a five-point drop in, in the percentage of people saying that they think they're going to be better off and one in five say that they're going to be worse off. So uh, I think there's a, a reality that a lot of people aren't expecting things to get better. And in fact, one in five are looking at it and saying, you know, I, I don't think that, that things are going to get better. In fact, they're, they're probably going to get worse. Um, and, you know, this comes just minutes after um, the Ontario Health Minister just announced. I was just looking at some of the coverage while I was waiting online here. Um, that the the economy opening is, is paused now for another four weeks. They're not going to be graduating any more um, economic progress in the province. And that's the type of thing I think that people are, are wary of, is just that things have really been put on pause. And um, the likelihood that we get back to full employment and get back to full economic kind of robust growth uh, feels a little bit further off, I think, for, for a lot of people. Many said, uh, certainly at the beginning of this pandemic, that uh, we will not be getting back to any sort of normalcy until there is a vaccine. Is that optimism still there? You know, even if we get an, uh, you know, a vaccine the mid part of next year, uh, is there that optimism still there? Yeah, I think that that would certainly be a, um, a big kind of uh, uh, a transcendent kind of change in, in this whole conversation. A lot of what people are looking at right now is, you know, reports saying that even if we do get a vaccine, it's still going to be a year, year and a half before it's uh, available widespread and everybody's going to be able to to get it who needs it. Um, and those sensitive areas of, of our society and, and even of our economy are really still going to be at risk for a long time. And I don't know what it's like around communities in Ontario, but we certainly see it around Vancouver a lot of t- places, small businesses shuttering their doors and, and uh, you know, for lease signs popping up and, and uh, people kind of closing off their operations. So I think that um, as this goes on longer, people are, are looking to, um, you know, they've been relying on the government for a, a large portion of this uh, with the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit and, and how we transition out of that, um, I think it's going to really inform how people feel going forward. But I think a vaccine would certainly help. That's the biggest thing that would bring some confidence back. And I think you will see that as soon as we get a timeline for that. But um, we've seen that the Canadians don't think that that's coming anytime soon when you ask them 
how soon they anticipate having a, a vaccine available. The timeline keeps getting pushed further and further down the road, and I think we're looking at you know the middle of 2021 is the earliest that people are anticipating that happening. So if they're thinking about their own economic livelihood, um, 12 months down the road uh, doesn't seem so far off and doesn't really feel um, like it holds much optimism uh, among a big segment of the Canadian public. Uh, we certainly know how uh, you know the anxiety and the fear going up the side of uh, the upside of this curve, and then trying to flatten it. And then we saw the progress as we were coming down the curve. Uh, we started to see uh, you, you know new cases in Ontario drop below a hundred, and slowly things started opening up. Stage two, and then stage three. And, you know, obviously, as people were, were coming out from, you know, inside their locked cabin, so to speak, uh, there was certainly a, a bit of optimism there. Um, has that leveled off? I mean, especially when you see that, as you mentioned, uh, the premier saying today and the health minister saying today that that's it. They're not opening any more stages at this point. They're going to keep things on pause exactly where they were or where they are. That still leaves a massive gap in things like the the hospitality industry, restaurants, that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, and with with that comes a lot of the border restrictions that have still been in place and people um, being asked not to travel um, if they don't need to. And it's just the, the spinoff effects, I think, um, are, are becoming a little bit more real. We've certainly seen that it's not that anxiety is rising. It's just that um, fatigue is rising and, and people are seeing case numbers rise. There's, there's quite a split in the population as to whether or not restrictions go too far or don't go far enough. We tend to see people kind of equally on both sides of that debate. So there's a lot of tension in society about um, what should be done and, and how to best uh, allow people to you know, go out and live their lives and spend the money that, you know, hopefully if people do have it, they are contributing to their local communities. But it's a, it's a scary time, you know, when, when people don't have a lot of uncertainty, um, they might be uh, less inclined to go out and spend that, that extra money and just kind of, you know, sock it away for now. So these are all things that I think we're seeing um, as we get deeper into this pandemic. And one of the things that has really become a reality is just how long people expect it to last. I think that's the biggest change from what we saw in early days. People are still concerned about it. They're still worried about friends and family getting sick, so they're trying to be safe. But the the fatigue aspect of it is really um, pretty considerable. And, And the fact that people don't see a return to normal as coming in the next 12 months or the next 18 months. I think people are looking really far down the line now until we have a vaccine that is uh, well distributed and, you know, until you can fill up the uh, the arena to watch the Raptors or the Leafs play, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be tough to get that semblance of back to normal. You know, and it's it's interesting, too, uh, heading back to the, the first few weeks of this, I think most thought, oh, this will be over in a couple of months and then we can move on. And like you said, I think we're all, it's the sudden realization that we're in this for the long haul. You can't eat your way out of it, you know. Yeah, and that's, that's really been one of the most interesting things um, to, to monitor, really, is that back-to-normal question that we started asking early on. And you ask it in, in March and April, and people are saying, you know, by the end of the year. And then you ask it in May or June, and people are saying, oh, maybe by the middle of 2021. And then now people are saying that, you know, maybe the end of 2021, going into 2022. And it, it keeps getting pushed further and further off um, as people see it. And if you look at something like the airline industry is saying they don't expect things to return back to where they were until 2023 or 2024. 
Um, so these spin-off effects, as more people in different places of the world are dealing with outbreaks, you know, uh, it's still raging in India and Brazil, and a lot of these places are still having a very difficult time. Um, you know, look south of the border, the, the testing might be down a little bit, but uh, cases are still 45,000, 50,000 a day. Uh, the death toll is still 1,000 people a day. Um, so it's hard to imagine, you know, even for Canadians, if things aren't back to normal in the United States for a couple of years, it's hard to imagine that they're going to be back to normal in this country just because of the connection that we have. So I think people are are taking into account more uh, elements of, of what it actually means as they go along and realize, oh, well, that's not going to return and that's not going to return. So I think that's what we're seeing is that people are, are realizing the spinoff effects of this and the economic impacts that are going to be long-term. And it really is very challenging, I think, both for people enduring it and for public policy officials trying to figure out what to do and how to keep this going but not um, drive up a, a deficit that you know is already at $380 billion. Dave Gorzinski is with us, Research Director, Angus Reid Institute. Uh, new polling shows that uh, people are realizing that this is going to take a little longer than what we thought as uh, people hunker down for the long haul getting through COVID-19. Dave, thanks for the time and insight. As always, much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. Take care. Uh, many are chatting. You know, man, it's hard to believe uh, we're finally past the long weekend. You can feel the nip in the air. You can tell that the leaves are just slowly starting to change uh, as we head into the fall. And um, we remember as we uh, as we came out of the spring and into the summer, uh, the relaxing of regulations and protocol and such around COVID-19 allowed restaurants and and uh, others in the hospitality industry to open up with the use of patios and such. What happens now uh, as patio season is coming to an end? Uh, what does that mean for uh, restaurants and, and uh, other places that have uh, obviously relied on that patio to keep things moving? Let's bring in Jason Cassis from Equal Parts Hospitalities and is with us now. Jason, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? So I remember, I remember chatting uh, at the beginning of, of the season when slowly things were starting to, to open up and, you know, you were talking about some of the protocols and what you're going to have to do in order to make this uh, all happen. Uh, that being said, now the summer season slowly coming to an end. Uh, how much of a concern is this to those in the hospitality industry? I think it's a, uh, it's a big concern. Um, we've got a long list of things to be worried about between now and next May when patios reopen from, you know, uh, second wave impact on in, in-house dining to, uh, you know, rent abatement being off the table now. And, uh, you know, not a lot of uh, visibility to, you know, what kind of, what kind of seating we'll have inside. I mean, right now it's, Right now, it's a function of people show up and they tend to sit on the patio for the most part. So it's really hard to get a read, generally speaking, on how what percentage of people are willing to sit in a dining room right now. And the government announced today, uh, the premier announced today during his uh, daily news conference, uh, the health minister, Christine Elliott, announced that, in fact, they were going to put a pause on extending uh, any protocol and, and opening up things uh, at this point. Uh, your thoughts on that? Because obviously uh, that's going to have effect on your business as well. Sorry, can you expand on that, Scott? What exactly was said? 
Uh, that they're, you, you know, how slowly they were opening, uh, you know, stage two and then stage three, and they're saying that they were going to pause any future openings. In other words, they're not going to expand anything uh, beyond where it is now until they see how things shake down. So they're yeah, we, they're sort of pausing the reopening. Yeah, we didn't count. We didn't count on them continuing to reopen uh, the economy at this point, particularly as you know, flu season sort of creeps up on us and everything else. We just didn't we didn't see uh, the government going past stage three at this point. So it doesn't have an impact on us directly. Um, you know, and in terms of the event business, there's not a tremendous amount of events from January to March that, that hold a lot of people. So typically, larger events are in the spring and summer and fall. So I would say that the impact is limited. It's disappointing to hear, of course, but... Uh, at the same time, it was kind of expected, given the up, uptick in cases as well. Uh, obviously, the patio has um, become a savior for the hospitality industry in, in uh, the summer months and such. Are we going to see this adapted for the winter? Uh, you know, we see in some European cities, they, they embrace it and get out and use the patio as much in the winter as the summer. Are we going to see that at all, do you think? I, you know, I think it's unlikely. I think you'll see a little bit of pop-up going on in the winter and some maybe some winter events and so on that are done safely. But uh, as my business partner and I were discussing, you know, considering that you would need a heat lamp for every single table, that would be unaffordable. Yeah. So then we talked about, well, what if we, you know, what if you got some really cool ponchos with equal parts on them and everyone got a poncho, but, you know, even if we laundered them, I wouldn't feel necessarily safe about even putting one on. So I'm not sure that I'm not sure that cold weather dining in this country, despite the pandemic, is going to you know make up for the loss of warm winter or warm weather uh, dining. So it's I, you know quite frankly we're going to kind of hunker down this winter um, and just uh, try to get through it. I think you know it's not just the patios that has helped the hospitality industry as well. It's also been the government programs that have supported. The hospitality industry, like the sues, like the wage abatement and the rent abatement and things like that. So, you know, for for those companies that have really managed to push hard this summer and squirrel away enough money to get through the winter, a big part of that will be in conjunction with some government relief programs. So I urge the government to continue to look into ways to support the hospitality sector through the wintertime. Um, I think we'll be fine come May. You know, April or May when people sort of thaw out a little bit, but between now and then, uh, it can be a little bit difficult. So what are you anticipating over the winter for restaurants? How difficult is this going to be for them? Well, you know, here's the thing. We opened up phase three, I don't know, seven or eight weeks ago or whenever it was. And at first we had virtually no one in the dining room. So, you know, week first Friday, one or two tables, you know, by the fourth or fifth Friday, there was three or four tables. And then as of this weekend, there was even more tables. So I think people are warming up to, to dining inside safely, you know, at 50% or less capacity. But the challenge is, of course, as cases tend to spike up, consumer confidence tends to go in the opposite direction. So with consumer confidence, um, that's everything for dining in, in in the wintertime. So as far as, you know, what what will happen to restaurants this winter, I think it'll be a function of the caseloads 
And I think it'll be a function of consumer confidence directly connected to that. And beyond that, um, let's, you know, let's hope for a mild winter with not a, you know, a terrible amount of snow and ice. That's not good for the restaurant industry in general. So, you know, good weather also plays into people getting out and being active. Um, and we will certainly do our part to support any kind of outdoor winter patio type of events that we can do safely. Um, right now, I want to try to enjoy the rest of this fall. <laughs> thinking, yeah, before you have to talk about you that. Know, you know. So, uh, you, again, it's just been in the last few weeks where our, uh, restaurants and such have been able to open up. Um, what have you learned from those first few weeks? Um, do, do you feel positive about it? That people, you mentioned earlier, slowly things are, are, are coming around, but uh, has this gone a lot smoother than what you thought it, it would have? It has gone a lot smoother. I think the only thing that was an issue was around, you know, masks and things like that. Had they have just done it at a, at a provincial level, like they did the smoking ban and said everyone must wear a mask, period, it would have really helped. Um, so I would say the thing that we learned is is, is to have patience. Um, customers having patience with us and us having you know patience with customers, I think, is key. The second thing is is that not to underestimate the fatigue of the consumer as well. Hmm. People are very, 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 um, despite them living in somewhat of a bit of fear, are starting to push out a bit or push back yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um, and I think that might be related to to as death toll drops. I think you know, some people are just loosening up and I don't think that they should. I think it feels good to loosen up, but I don't think that people should be doing it uh, in full force. I think that they still have to be cautious. Um, you know, overall, I think I think what we learned is that the sky fell, but it didn't fall quite as far as we thought it would fall. Hmm. And that's a function of the government, and that's a function of really supportive customers, and that's a function of, within our own company, being nimble and being very creative. Jason Cassis has been with us, Equal Parts Hospitality, talking about how the restaurant industry adapts as we go from the summer season into the winter season and lose the patio, although some may become winterized. Jason, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be, le- uh, be well. Good luck. Thanks, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.